While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house, naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. 
Thanks very much, Terry. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, let's pray for you as we come to, to God's Word. Father God, we do thank you for the gift of your Spirit. We thank you that it was he who enabled us to believe in the first place and to be able to say those words earlier of the creed from our hearts. Uh, we thank you that it's he who enables us to, to grow in our faith. And so we do pray he would be at work this evening, helping us to understand uh, these words that we've just had read to us and helping us to grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our desire to proclaim his good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are of a certain age, you'll remember the um, original TV series of Star Trek and the words of uh, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, who started each episode by saying, Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Well, the book of Acts is also about boldly going. Um, Not so much to where no man has gone before, but to where no Christian has ever gone before. Because it's about the spread of the gospel. Uh, It's about Jesus' followers obeying his command to go and make disciples of all nations. It's also not about trusting in human achievements, human boldness, but trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting the boldness that he gives us to boldly go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mark read out earlier the words um, of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, back in chapter 1 of Acts, where he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, over the past few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been doing some training in personal evangelism, looking at our motivation, our means, and our message. Well, this evening and next Sunday, we're looking at what that looked like in the time of the the early church and what we can learn from them today. Because their situation then wasn't actually massively different from ours today. As we've been considering at the the FIC conference this past week, living as a Christian in the UK today, we are very much in a mission context. Most people in this country, even if they would consider themselves Christian in the census, um, have not heard or may not even understand what the gospel is all about. We're not going to focus so much on the motivation or the message this evening, but on the means, the power of the Holy Spirit. So just to set the scene, Paul started his third missionary journey at the end of chapter 18, and we had that that read to us, where we were told he travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this is where he came from Antioch, through this whole area, before he arrives here at Ephesus. He's planted churches in his first two journeys, and now he's returning to ensure that uh, those young Christians are walking well with the Lord. Now, at the beginning of uh, chapter 19, we are told, if you've got it in front of you, he took the road through the interior and arrived 
at Ephesus. Now, before he arrived there, we were told there was this Jewish convert called Apollos who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, uh, who spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. And we'll come back to that. He's befriended by two faithful disciples, Priscilla and Aquila, um, who explained to him the way of God more adequately. So as we go into chapter 19, what we're going to see here is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. We're going to see him giving the power to believe, the power to enable us to engage with the world, and the power to convict us of sin and to transform lives. Let's start with the first seven or so verses, the power to help us believe. We're told that when Paul arrives in Ephesus, he found some disciples and he asked them this question. Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They might think, what prompted that question? Uh, was there something about them that, that gave Paul concern? Uh, had he heard that some of the teaching they'd received was a little bit dodgy? Um, was it they weren't showing the fruit of the Spirit in the way they lived their lives? Was it that they were not exercising the, the gifts of the, the Spirit? Well, we don't know, but what Paul makes clear in his question is that believing goes hand in hand with receiving the Holy Spirit. If they didn't receive the Holy Spirit, then they haven't truly believed. The reply that comes back is a bit of a surprise, isn't it? We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, um, then what baptism did you receive? There's another assumption here that those who have been baptized have received the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is a sign of what has already taken place in the believer, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So you can't believe and be baptized without receiving the Holy Spirit. As uh, Peter said to the crowd at Pentecost, uh, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the disciples here answer Paul's question by saying, John's baptism. Now, if you remember in chapter 18, we were told that Apollos was teaching about Jesus, but he only knew about the baptism of John. So it's no surprise that these disciples didn't know actually any more than that. Now, Paul realizes there their lack of understanding and explains what they're missing. He's explaining that their faith is not complete. He says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. So they knew that they needed to repent of their sins, but they hadn't fully understood how they could be forgiven for their sins. They hadn't appreciated that by Jesus' death and his resurrection, they could be forgiven and made right with God. Well, on hearing this, we are told, and um, implicit in that is that having had the, the Holy Spirit enable them to, to hear and believe and understand, they were then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, giving confirmation of the apostle to what had happened, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The blessings of Pentecost became theirs as they received the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I think there's um, 
in some ways, two mistakes we can make as Christians here with this passage. One is to, to separate coming to faith with the gift of the Spirit. As we said before, to be a believer is to be given the Spirit. Um, their problem here is not that they hadn't received any gifts of the Spirit, but their, their faith is incomplete. They haven't actually received the, the, the Holy Spirit full stop. But on the other hand, I also think we can say that another mistake is that the Holy Spirit doesn't give gifts of tongues or prophesying today, a so-called cessationist view. We won't go into that further now because it's a big issue in itself, and we'll come back to that, um, hopefully, in the new year. But the more important takeaway point for this episode is that inadequate teaching can be dangerous. At its worst, it may make some think that they are a Christian when... They're not, which means as teachers, we have a huge responsibility in the church. It means parents have a huge responsibility in the home in teaching their children. Let's not assume people are, are Christians, but try and understand what it is that they believe. Of course, we also have to remember that however good our teaching is, our teaching itself is not going to convert anyone. For that, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work of conversion, that he takes our words and makes them real and alive in the hearts of the person hearing. And we mustn't give up praying that he would convert those who hear the gospel message, that he would enable them to believe, he would make them want to become followers of Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, the Holy Spirit gives us power to engage with the world. Having got these uh, 12 men back on track, um, firmly established in their faith, Paul proceeds to reach out to to others. Where does he go first? Well, he goes to familiar territory. He goes to the synagogue. And in verse 8, we're told that um, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke, spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, this is uh, isn't arguing in the sense of uh, coming to, to blows, um, but it's disputing, reasoning, uh, putting forward the truths of Christianity in a persuasive manner. What exactly would he have been trying to persuade them? Well, it might help if we go back a few chapters to chapter 13, because this tells us the story of when um, Paul was in Basidian Antioch. And uh, there we get a, a good idea, because there too he spoke to Jews in the synagogue. Uh, he starts by um, going over some of the events recorded in the Old Testament, um, showing their, their common ancestry. But then in verse 23, he brings some new teaching to the Jews. And there he says, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. And he goes on to explain how the Jews in Jerusalem fulfilled the words of the prophets by condemning Jesus and killing him. But, verse 30, God raised him from the dead. And he goes on to say how he was seen by many eyewitnesses. And unlike King David, he says, that the one God raised from the dead did not see decay. And the conclusion comes in verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. 
justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is the gospel that the Jews need to hear. Um, it's the gospel they need to hear today. And to speak in this way to boldness, you know, a boldness that the, the Spirit gave Paul. A boldness that was prepared to argue in the face of opposition. Because if you go back to chapter 19 and look at verse 9, there it says, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly malign the way. The way being a description of the, the Christian church there. And that's one of the hardest things as a Christian, isn't it? People won't just refuse to believe. They will malign Christians. They will um, twist what they say. As we were looking again at the, the conference last week, we live in a culture which has adopted certain values that won't accept Christians expressing their views. For example, tolerance. Tolerance has changed. Before, tolerance would mean, I disagree with your view, um, but I respect you as a person. Uh, now you cannot even disagree with somebody else's view um, because that is being intolerant. As Christians, we believe there is one way to God. Now, the logical consequence of that is that, therefore, other beliefs must be wrong. But again, in the eyes of society, that is a bigoted view. It's an arrogant view. David Robertson, one of the, uh, of the speakers at the conference, a Scottish pastor, somebody who um, engages in regular debates in social media, uh, said how he receives hate mail every day um, because of his beliefs. Well, how does Paul respond to this opposition? Having uh, persuaded, having proclaimed the gospel for three months, he moves on. As Jesus had said to his disciples, he said, uh, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So Paul did the same. We're told in verse 9, Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He's leaving the, the Jewish synagogue, which should have been where God was present amongst his people. He's going into enemy territory, if you like. He's going into the Greek lecture hall of Tyrannus, where all the, the traveling philosophers would, would gather and speak, where they didn't take any prisoners. There would have been jeering, there would have been mocking, and as we'll see next week, it all gets a bit out of hand and quite dangerous. In our day, it would have been like uh, um, maybe appearing as a Christian on, on question time with uh, David Dimbleby or speaking to a student union uh, where you cannot possibly say there's only one way to God. But where does Paul get the, the boldness to do this? Or if we go back to chapter 4 briefly of, of Acts, Peter, you may remember Peter and John being released from prison. They come back to the the other believers, they share what's happened to them. And what do they do? Verse 23 onwards. But what they don't do is pray for an end to hostility. But instead, they pray that the Lord would enable them to speak with great boldness. And we're told in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
So although we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift when we become believers, we have to constantly pray for his power to be at work within us so that we can speak boldly. We're going back to chapter 19 again. What, what else do we see here? Well, two things that are worth uh, noting before we move on. First of all, Paul took the disciples with him, not just for moral support, but so that they too would learn. Uh, and this went on, we're told, every day for two years. Imagine what sort of a, a discipleship they would have gathered um, and how much they would have learned during that time. Because however long we have been a Christian, and some of you here may have been Christians for many years, um, we're all still learning all the time, aren't we? We're still disciples, we're still learners. And we can learn a lot by watching and listening to others. Also, the result of this was, we're told, that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, verse 10. They may not have believed, but they heard the word of the Lord. As we've said already, that is our responsibility. We can't make people believe, but we can ensure they hear the word of the Lord. Well, this engaging, it's not just engaging with the word, it's also engaging in practical love. Because if we look at verse 11, we're told there that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill. And their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. I don't think this is teaching us about the use of handkerchiefs um, in healing, but it's showing God's compassion for all those in need. So what is the takeaway for us today? Well, one of our mission statements is to engage the local community with the love of Christ through word and deed. The problem is our human nature will always default to comfort and security. We sit in the same places, uh, we talk to the same people, we find it hard to break out. Even travelling to the conference this week, we sat in exactly the same places in the car as last year, we uh, stayed in the same bedrooms in the same B&B, we stayed in the same beds. We are creatures of habit. And as John Stott once said, parochialism is always the enemy of the gospel. And unchecked, we will always be parochial. And the harder it becomes to, to be a Christian in the world, the greater will be the temptation to retreat, to not bother engaging. That's why Wellesley was saying last week, we, we need the word of God in one hand, and we need the newspaper in the other. We need to know the world, we need to understand the world to be able to engage with the world. And we need to be praying more for those who uh, are in the world. We need to be praying for our friends in the world who don't yet know Jesus. We need to be praying for one another. Those of us who tomorrow morning will be in the workplace amongst colleagues who do not know Jesus. It's a tough place to be a Christian. Well, we'll look at this a bit more next week. But um, finally, uh, this evening, the Holy Spirit gives power to convict us of sin and to transform lives. In verse 13, there's this uh, little incident in which uh, some Jews see the power of Paul to cast out evil spirits in the name of Jesus. And so they think these must be magic words, in the name of Jesus. That's what I need to say. 
It's been like when our, our children were, were young. I'm sure you've all been in the same position as this if you're a parent, teaching them to say please. You hold something out tantalizingly to them and say, what's the magic word? I remember one of ours replying once, abracadabra. <laughs> well, in the name of Jesus, is a bit like that for these Jews. They're saying, if I say that magic phrase, I can show the same power. But of course, it's very different, isn't it? You're calling on the king of the universe. And if you don't submit to the king of the universe, you're getting into very dangerous ground. And so we're told, verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? And the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Even the demons know who Jesus is and who his followers are. Well, however unpleasant that situation may have been, God still uses it for his own purposes. Because the result of that, have a look at verse 17, is when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. The Holy Spirit has cut to their heart. He's, he's transformed them. He's made them give up their former way of life. Whatever the cost may be. We're told here that the total value of the scrolls was 50,000 drachmas. Well, um, if my maths is correct, um, based on a drachma being about a day's salary. We're looking probably about five million pounds. That's not an inconsiderable amount of money, is it? It's a lot of money to chuck away. But when it comes to a choice between honoring the name of the Lord and sacrificing something of material value, however much it is, there should be no contest. Everything we have comes from the Lord anyway. It's his to take away at any moment. A couple of weeks ago, you may have read the, the sports minister, Tracy Crouch, resigned um, because the government wanted to delay the implementation of a lower maximum stake on the fixed dogs um, betting terminals. She resigned because she claimed that gambling addiction led to debt, family breakdown, and suicide. And the government was putting extra tax revenue above lives. Are we guilty of putting money or materialism before the name of Jesus Christ? Well, the Holy Spirit has the power to transform lives, not just to convert us in the first place, but to keep us changing more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The people who came and burnt their scrolls were people, we're told, who believed. But they were still casting off their old habits. And as they did so, it opened the door for the Spirit to do his work. And so the result was that uh, in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And Paul moves on. He spent time strengthening the disciples. He spent time growing the church. And now with even greater boldness, he's prepared to go to Macedonia and Achaia and then eventually to Rome knowing that he will likely face imprisonment and eventual death. As we reminded 
again this week in terms of human strategies there's no silver bullet to achieve church growth but in terms of the power we need to be faithful to the mission that God has given us there is a silver bullet and he's called the Holy Spirit Jesus said if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need to call on him to fill us with his power. We need to call on him to enable us to engage with the lost world, to have the boldness to do that. To see people come to believe and have their lives transformed by him. So we're going to pray now. I'm going to hand over to to Mark. Thank you, Neil. Uh, If we could just keep that last slide up, please, Kathy. That would be great. Um, We're going to pray tonight uh, in response to that, um, just focusing on those three bullet points there. I'm just going to make a couple of comments and then give us a bit of quiet space just to pray in our own hearts. Um, So let's come before the Lord as we respond in prayer. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to believe. Lord God, in a moment of quiet, we lift before you maybe a person in our life who was really instrumental in us coming to faith in Christ. And if it's not an individual, we just lift our voices before you quietly in our hearts, as it were, thanking you that your spirit opened our eyes to help us to believe. Let's come before the Lord and thank him for all that he's done in helping us to trust. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that helps us to believe. We thank you too for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to engage with our world. Let's take a moment of quiet to think about maybe the names of a few people that we are seeking to witness to this week. Let's pray for the Spirit of God to give us that boldness to give us the words to speak, to give us the consistency in our lifestyle that we might engage a lost and broken world with the hope of the gospel. Let's lift before the Lord the people who are on our heart whom we seek to share Christ with this week. Thank you, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit to help us to believe Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to help us to engage with our world. And thank you too for the power of your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. Lord, we want to be a church that keeps in step with your Spirit. We cannot be people who grieve your Spirit, for if we grieve your Spirit, then we're stunting growth in our walk with you. We're not growing in godliness and in grace. And we'll be inconsistent in our witness to each other and to a watching world. And so we pray that today and tonight and into this week, you would regularly convict us of our sin. Not so we become overwhelmed with our failure, but so that we fall down at the foot of the cross every day. Thank you, Lord, that your blessings are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And thank you that as we learned this morning with that little window, that picture into the throne room of heaven, just how magnificent the living God is. We thank you that God the Holy Spirit is 
therefore magnificent. Thank you, Lord, that we're not alone. Thank you that we can go into this week as we face challenges in our work situations, as we face troubled relationships, as we face ill health or caring for those of ill health, as we face situations where people are hard to the gospel and don't want to respond to you. Lord, we pray, firstly, that you would convict us of our sin, that we would be truly dependent on you and not rely on our own abilities. But we pray too, as we seek to be a witness to our watching world, you would indeed convict this world, the people within this world, of sin and of judgment and the world to come. Lord, this is your work, this is your church, and you promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we thank you tonight for the power of your spirit that helps us to believe, who helps us to engage with our world, and who convicts us and others of our sin. And Lord, we pray that this week would be a truly spirit-filled week, a week where we know that you've gone ahead of us, a week where you're at work in us, through us, in all the situations that we are in. And we pray, Lord, that we'd have a real spring in our step, wind in our sails, because the Holy Spirit is with us in all that we do. Thank you for that promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this week to build your kingdom, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.